Hello and welcome to Sync Music Matters, a podcast that explores the beautiful relationship between music and the moving image. My name's Jim Hostrip and I'm your host on this journey, as each week I chew the fat with industry professionals who, on a daily basis, work with music for visuals. Now you might immediately assume that I'm talking about composers, but I'm also talking about editors, music supervisors, directors, and anyone else who's involved with the synchronous process of pairing audio and visuals. In this episode, I'm talking to music supervisor and consultant, Emma Middleton. Emma and I discuss how she went from studying English literature to setting up her own music supervision agency. We also chat about her work on the trailers for The Witcher and The Crown, how being proactive opens doors, her love affair with the music of John Powell, and leaving behind the javelin for music. So... Emma was voted Music Supervisor of the Year in 2020 at AIM Sync and was both a winner and finalist of the Music and Sound Awards for her work on trailers for The Crown Seasons 3 and 4. Emma is a trailer specialist, music supervisor and consultant who launched her freelance business Rubato Music at the start of 2021. Prior to that, Emma was in-house at UK trailer agency Create. Emma enjoys discovering and applying unusual or unexpected tracks. She even keeps a curveballs folder. Also a composer, Emma occasionally jumps in and gets her hands dirty. Recent work includes a collaboration on the trailer for The Witcher Season 2. Emma Middleton, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm, I feel flattered. <laughs> That's quite the, uh, quite the credit selection. Um, so like the first question I always like to open with if you were to sort of rewind a few years back to kind of your your formative younger years when you say between, I don't know, five and ten or whatever, if someone had asked you the question, what do you want to be when you grow up, what would you have answered? Um, I think I'm going to probably really bore you <laughs> with this. Mm. Um, I, I, I kind of knew exactly what I wanted to do. Um, so it's not like, oh, I wanted to be an astronaut or anything. I, I knew it was... I want to either compose or work with music for film and TV, which has since broadened to games. But um, yeah, I don't know about before 10, or I can only really remember from like 10, 11, 12, which is when I started playing the piano. I was playing guitar before that, which I was all right at, but like when I found piano, kind of, that was the thing. And then I just, I don't know, I I would always listen to, it's the really cliche thing. Like I'd be listening to scores in the car and like holidays and things and picturing I'm in the scene or I'm in a scene that that music is, is like um, underscoring. So it's really boring, but I, um, I just set my mind to it. <laughs> but at the same time, nice to sort of have that focus from a young age. It took me 30 years to work out what I wanted to do. So, um, and as for, in terms of sort of like car journeys, like, wow, what sort of highbrow car journeys you were having listening to sort of film scores. We, I was listening to my mum's Jennifer Rush tapes and sometimes the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. <laughs> I don't know. It's just something about that, that connection of like visuals and, and music that I, like, I mean, before it was all kind of whimsical, fanciful stuff. I don't know what I was picturing, but, um, now it has to be a bit more analytical. <laughs> so were you, were you conscious of that at a young age then as well? Because I sort of talk about my kind of love affair with music starting probably with, well, it's probably with film was with Star Wars, but I don't think at the time as like a, I was probably a seven or eight, I didn't realize what a huge impact the music was having on me and and that was part of the reason that I loved Star Wars so much. Were you conscious of that from a very young age of the kind of like the, the power of marrying, um, you know, sound with moving image? That's a really good question. Um, poss- possibly because I, I think I was trying to play this, some of the scores at the same time. So like Pirates of the Caribbean or whatever it was, Twilight or whatever, like I, or I'd sit with like a little, um, TV in the corner or something and, and put it on mute and play whilst that was on. So like, there's definitely an, a fascination with it. And then when we moved, I mean, I, I was a bit older then, like 14, 15, my, the house that my parents still live in, there's a glass door between the lounge and the, well, the strange dining room slash piano room thing that I played in. And you could see the TV from there. So I would often just play and like improvise and watch the watch the TV at the same time. So I, I think I was, I don't know when the switch happened. I, I was very into Harry Potter. So I obviously mm. was listening, to, not realizing I was listening to like big John Williams themes. And I, I don't know. 
I will think and, on that. That's really cool. <laughs> and that's interesting as well. So like, one of the other guests, Todd, that I've uh, had on the show, he was talking about this love of, of music, but it was never really... Certainly, growing up, he was in, growing up in the Midlands, and certainly for me, growing up in the North, like a career in music was never really an option. Was did did you have the idea sort of early on that I want to do this professionally and earn a living from it? And was that was that feasible? Were you encouraged in that in that way? I, I'm from the Midlands as well, um, from a small like market town. Um, no, I don't. I don't think I saw myself as like being the musician. I saw myself as like doing something with it. So like, I think being a musician, no, I, d- I didn't really. There were quite a few talented musicians like in my year and the year above. So like, I did see people kind of go on to do things or like aspiring for like quite like grand things with music. So, but then that also made me very aware that I wasn't as good at playing as them. So I was kind of like, how can I still do this without being the one that's got to be good at the instrument? I mean, I was fine. I like did my grades and stuff, but like, you know, when you, you hit a certain point and you're like, I, I don't think I can get better, quite reach what other people are at. Um, so I, I, I started looking at things when I was in like sixth form or high school about music editing. I thought that was what I wanted to do. And then, yeah, a lot of stuff is like about America or it's about London. And I don't, I started looking at internships and things like that and trying to figure out how the hell do I do this. And then I saw, yeah, I saw like courses about composition for uni and things. And I actually avoided that because people steer you towards things that will be better for more careers and now I wonder like if I'd done that maybe that would have been a quicker way into it I don't know so just going back then so did you you sort of studied music did you sort of like study composition like do like a level GCC a level and then a levels yeah uh, yeah and did you then study at degree level or not no I I figured I could do music on the side I, I was torn between music and English and French and I went for English and I was like I can do music on the side I can't really learn literature and theory of literature on the side as well so I don't know that's not meant to be an insult to anyone that studies music because <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had but no uh, yeah I mean it's surprising the number of people involved in music myself included who I mean I studied studied music from the point of view of like doing grades on instruments but never actually studied music production or or composition and there's quite a lot of people out there who, who are the same and um, so what was the what was your sort of path and I'm always interested because everyone was conscious that maybe some people are listening who kind of want to get into kind of composition or want to get into music supervision what what was your route uh, from sort of you know step by step to get to where you are today um I don't know if it's like a standard route it, it might be I um like I say, I was looking at internships and things and I, I looked at them again in my first summer after my first year of university and I found one at Create, actually. I went there for a couple of months and, you know, <laughs> going to London from the Midlands and kind of being like, not knowing where anything was when you're asked to go on a run with a drive to Fox or somewhere and um, getting used to that and being like, okay, I'm, I'm not really into London, but I love this place I love the people actually take this kind of stuff seriously which going back to what you said before like when you say to people kind of in a smaller town or whatever like oh I'm gonna work in film or music you can sense that the, the cynicism um and so being there with people that have been doing it for years who are actually working on these massive things like Rafe Fines had been into the building like a few months before or something like that and it was kind of that little taste of, oh, I could maybe do this. And if I'd had time, I would have tried a few other places or um, looked at like actual music internships because I, I managed to get this because I thought I'll get something that links me to films somehow to learn about the connection and how they use music, which in hindsight, I'm so glad I did because it was invaluable. But um, I then went back to uni and I just kept, kept in touch I think that was the key it was just enthusiasm eagerness to to work there having done a good job whilst you're in your internship and like leaving a mark because you know that this industry is all about 
relationships as much as I hate to say it and connections and if someone really does impress you I think you remember them for years and if something comes up you will go the extra mile to try and get them a job or connect them with someone so I'm glad I did that and then I I actually met Tom Evans from Audio Machine whilst I was there because he used to work at Create so I got connected he's been a great friend and mentor of mine for years now and he I chatted to him about what I wanted to do and I said about the music editing thing and he was like sounds like you probably want to be a composer or a music supervisor more than that and so I went back <laughs> to uni invested in logic um started trying to write for student films and things like that and keeping that alive and then when I finished uni I moved to London and I just kept like trying to keep in touch with create I got a job somewhere else for a year but was always like on the lookout for something that would lead me back and then it eventually did like the stars aligned I guess and something came up where they needed someone to start looking after the music as well as doing something else and then that was my way in and then from there like quite a few places in the UK or at least how it might have been a while ago there was no music role specifically so it was like learning dribs and drabs from what everyone else had done over the years where like producers have been doing music on the side or the like production assistants and production managers have kind of been like putting music on the drive and learning from editors about where where everything was and trying to understand what MCPS was and commercial and what library was what and sorting all the system out and learning how to do searches and clearance and just kind of learning the ropes from within the building and when I occasionally went out and like you know just met my peers that are now like long-term friends but just uh having to kind of be a bit of a sponge and ask questions and probably look a bit stupid sometimes because if you're learning it that I'd say that's the the only downside from not going in through the music industry is you don't you're maybe not learning all the ins and outs and like copyright like you're not learning that side of things that I kind of wish I had but I'm still grateful for going in through the trailer side because I think having worked with editors and producers like in-house is the is the way to go. So I, I guess my advice would be just to try and find, whether it's like a, an internship, a, a, some kind of trainee thing or like junior level job in a, an edit editing environment so that you're seeing why decisions about music are being made. Because yeah. if you're already, if you're good at music and you, you if you're pretty confident, oh, I know how to pick the right music for this and this and this, you might be surprised to learn how how it looks from the other side. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah and that's, that's great what you say about being a sponge as well. It's something that's come up in some of the other conversations I've had is bringing um, humility and curiosity to what you do because that curiosity, rather than trying to sort of prove yourself or sort of be the big I am, it's like, it's like okay, I don't know what that is. Can you explain that to me? And that way you get to learn from people with sort of you know years and years worth of sort of industry experience which is sounds like exactly what you've done you've just gone into the room and absorbed it all and then applied it to what you're doing on a daily basis yeah you don't really have time to to do otherwise to be honest no. I mean we'll probably get onto it but just trailers it moves so fast you do not have time to sit there and pretend you know what you're doing yeah <laughs> <laughs> I regularly just email people like I've emailed you guys and just been like I'm sorry I, I I think I'm describing this all wrong. Well, I had a search where I had to look at like garage music once and I just emailed people and said, I have no clue <laughs> what I'm doing here, but uh, please, can you help me? And you just have to lean on, yeah. I don't know. Someone said to me like the best people surround themselves with people that are better than that, that know what they're doing. And if I get to the point where I can hire more people, that is what I'm going to do because I don't profess to be an expert at clearance. So I'd rather have someone do that. For example yeah totally the old adage that I, for some reason i always relate this to tennis but if you want to get good at te playing tennis you play people that are better than you because that forces you to raise your game whereas if you play someone who's not as good it's it's too easy so um okay amazing so so then let's get let's delve into the world of of trailer and but before we kind of look in at a specific project um 
can you just sort of break down the the process? What happens? So uh, a studio starts, you know, pre-production or starts filming uh, a new film. At what stage, what are the different sort of levels of involvement from, you know, sort of trailer houses to sort of music supervisors? Who are the people involved? And what does the, that kind of, and obviously it changes on a project by project basis, but what's the sort of rough uh, chain of events that leads to you getting a search in for music? Okay, I'll do my best because obviously I'm I'm kind of removed. Even when I was in-house, I was kind of removed from a bit of this because, so you have, when you're in the trailer house, the producers are like the kind of first bit of the chain. They are talking to the clients. So say it's the Netflix marketing team or Studio Canal or whoever it is, they're talking to them about the plans for XYZ trailer. It might be the whole campaign. It might be that they've got them on a specific spot. Or they might have you on something and not be telling you that they've got other agencies on the same brief. Like with composers pitching for something, it's kind of a similar thing, just take it a bit further up. Um, And I apologise to any producers listening to this that I'm completely getting this wrong. You need to get someone else on. Um, Then you have like the marketing plans and everything and all the kind of trafficking side of when everything will go onto TV, if, if, if it's going on TV, radio, everything, when the trailer's going to air, all of that. So you've got the production side of things in the trailer house will be working out, okay, we need this done by then in order for this to be done then. The producers need to be aware that graphics need to have been finished by X date so that the editor can put them in for V1 to go to the client. All, all of that spinning and amongst all those dates, obviously it's like, well, we need music in this trailer, has the client already provided us music? Sometimes, like um, if the if the director's very into their music, someone like Edgar Wright, someone like that, they they have more say sometimes. But sometimes it's like a playlist, or maybe there's some cues from the score, and maybe you look into augmenting them or just using them as they are. Usually, you can't use them as they are because, as we all know, score just doesn't really work in in the trailer format. Um, with games as well, games trailers, that does happen more. The score from the game gets used in the trailer. I imagine that's probably because of the fan base um, and the game composers put so much time into like this whole world of of the game that maybe they composed something at the same time that was with the trailer in mind. Yeah. But for films and TV, the music kind of goes hand in hand with when you're talking about the edit. So you've got all this information from a client. Oh, Netflix want us to make X, Y, and Z. We've got to hit this market. There's usually some kind of briefing deck that's like, this is the demographic. We want to have these comp films. Like, this is the target. Like, location, or all of that kind of side of marketing that you'd expect. Sometimes music is mentioned in that brief. So it might be really in detail. It might be very brief, like a we we think hip hop will work <laughs> or something or, or it'll be like X, Y, Z trailers use these tracks to great effect. We want to do something similar. Mm-hmm. So you might have something to work from there. If the producer shares that with you or the producers will interpret that themselves in line with what they and the editor want to do and then bring you into the conversation. So does that make sense? Any yeah. part of that? Yeah. yeah so trailer house, do the trailers, uh, producers involved with that, uh, marketing briefs, putting out searches, which sometimes, you know, the marketing brief might be detailed or not. The searches come through uh, to, to you of what they're looking for. And then presumably you then go out and with your sort of network of uh, music providers, whether they be sort of publishers or production music houses or trailer music houses, whatever, you'll go through, well, yeah, so that's an interesting thing. Do you go onto their database and start searching, or is it usually a case of you've already downloaded uh, lots of of music? You have you're constantly on the lookout for music that you've sort of brought in and sort of go, oh, that could be a good one if if that gets made. That could be a good one then get that gets made, and so start drawing on all these sort of different ideas that you've got and putting together things that you think would work. Yeah, but a mix and match of both. So obviously you can't always be on top of every bit of music. So there's hmm. 
there's always some element of having stuff you've already got and reaching out to people or searching libraries or whatever. Um, Sometimes if you're at that stage where the producer goes, we, we aren't quite sure how this should sound or could you give us something to kind of like get the ball rolling and then before you like launch into something and spend a day (laughs) trying to find stuff you you can kind of go oh what about this but less electronic or what about this but less swaggery and this and this and try and like start you have this pyramid which I'm sure everybody talks about but like you start at the bottom and it's really broad and you could go in so many avenues even if it's quite a specific brief like even if it was just hip-hop like is it like huge, like fast and furious kind of epic trailerized hip hop, or is it quite like, you know, quite uh, static throughout or whatever's happening? Is it female, male vocals, blah, blah, blah. So you start in this place and then every question kind of gets you towards the top of the pyramid. Like you're just chipping away at it basically. And the more questions you ask and the more you know how to preempt how wrong it could go if you went in a certain direction or having done briefs before, you'd be like, I've tried that for a comedy. It just feels cheesy. I've done that for a drama before. It just, everyone does that. Or you start, then you can be more advisory. And that's why I say I'm a supervisor and consultant because usually there's, there's an element of here's like a bit of, Get getting the ball rolling, like I said, you you give a few prompts and then it it kind of opens yeah. up. And so when you're when you've got these sort of musical ideas and you're submitting them, who's who's choosing them? Is it the producer or the editor or both? Who's the gatekeeper on the sort of like the ideas that you send out? Do you reckon? Combination. It depends. It depends on the trailer house or how busy the producer is. Because if the producer's got like five different jobs on and they, they, they might be like, I'm leaving this with you to the editor. So um, I'd say usually the producers kind of defer to the editor on what what they're thinking, but it will be a conversation. So like, obviously the editor's the one cutting it, but if the producer disagrees, they will say so. If, if they listen first, they might kind of um, cull what I've sent before it goes to the editor really depends or just everything will go to the editor. And then they'll say, I love one, five, seven of this list or whatever. And then the producer then listens and agrees slash disagrees. And then that you either start cutting with things. You might've been given free creative reign to just present and edit however you want to do it. Or you've got to clear the music choice with the client before you cut anything. So, there may be quite a few stages or it may just be me and an editor doing something and then showing the producer the edit after. Okay. And then hoping that they buy into it. And as well, it sounds like, so you, you sort of mentioned the idea of pitching in the same way that sort of, you know, if, if an ad brief comes through and it sort of sends out to composers, the com- composers can be sort of competing against any number of, of sort of different composers. Similarly with this, it sounds like the trailer houses are sort of doing multiple cuts of trailers that they're sort of pitching to the sort of studio. But then beyond that, then there's sort of like um, supervisors who are pitching lots of music <laughs> to the producers and the editors. And then you've got the sort of the music houses that are sort of putting together playlists and pitching music to the supervisors. So there's that suppose that's the, that's the pyramid, isn't it? It sort of eventually sort of gets refined down to the sort of like the, the top. Um and when you set up as well about uh, sometimes you get a brief where they're very specific, you know, the marketing is very detailed. They know exactly what they want. And sometimes it's a bit more vague, which is easier for you or which do you prefer vague where you've got carte blanche to sort of go crazy or kind of more specific because hopefully you can be a bit more targeted. I think I like vague if the rest of the brief is really fulfilled. So I, cause I'd rather be left to decide what kind of music works because that's literally my job um it's not that's not meant to sound arrogant but like you know that that is what I'm meant to do um so if the rest of the brief covers all the other questions I would be asking the producer or if the producer has since found all those answers out and can tell me and what I mean by that is like the shape and movement of the edit how how am I like visualizing 
how this edit moves, that is just number one for me because you can give me everything. And usually I do get these like huge detailed briefs with so much information. It's like, uh, it might even describe the genre of music or uh, everything, but there's always usually one thing. And I'm like, how, what's the pacing of it? Because like quirky and upbeat or whatever, you know, it could have different BPMs. It could be like really in your face. It could be like um, Wes Anderson type, like chaos. Like there's such a spectrum of every kind of musical term as for what is the kind of, what's the editor thinking in terms of, is it going to open and be kind of exposition, like very slow, steady. It's more kind of broad, overarching narrative of the edit yeah. which is the thing that I think people take for granted sometimes it's like oh we've got all this got all this information but that bit is the crux of doing a music search yeah and I suppose quite often they are they, are they sort of saying well we don't know we're going to wait and see the music will inform that <laughs> so. well yeah it is a bit of like give and take it's um, like the I mean the briefs I get they're, they're brilliant and they, they answer so many things I would have to ask or they, they don't leave you in the dark, like just find some music. There's always, there is like direction in certain elements, but I think, I don't know if it's how I work personally. I don't know if any other supervisors do this, but I think it's from being a composer. It's like, I, I can't, like I can go off and find you things in that genre and I know the tone you want and I know the mood you want, I know the emotions you're trying to convey that's amazing. You've given me all that information, but I can't like feel it. I can't like, how is this going to, how is the intro going to like feel and move you? And like, is there like a steady pulse or is it quite hectic? And how is it that going to lead us into the next act? Well, it, it sounds almost like you, you're talking in terms of what emotions do you want the audience to feel when they start watching this is it sort of like a calm or is it are we starting big are we starting heavy and then what happens is it is it frantic or is it kind of more so like, i mean we'll talk about it in a bit but um you know the um the bob dylan cover for the for the crown trailer that you did which is quite haunting there's a sort of like there's a haunting element to to the trailer as a result so if you can sort of tap into what emotions you want the audience to feel when they're seeing it, that then goes some way to informing the pace and the tonality and, and things like that. That provides a perfect segue uh, into sort of like getting under the skin of um, a particular project. Under the skin. Um, let's maybe start with a project you worked on recently, The Witcher. And I think the great great thing about this is that you were sort of involved in, in the sort of composition of this as well. I think this is kind of unique because this is the thing about this this podcast is the idea is, you know, when you think of music and the moving image, you tend to think composers, but actually there's a whole gamut of people involved in this. And I always think that editors are much more involved than people give them credit for, music supervisors, sync agents, whoever. And obviously you're coming from two different camps. You're the, you've got your supervisor and consultant hat on, but then also being a composer yourself, I think that kind of places you quite uniquely to have a slightly different take on it. And obviously, the Witcher, Witcher season two trailer, uh, you were involved in with uh, both. So, yeah, talk us talk us about you know the process of that. How did that come about, and and what led to because um, it's it's a fleet fleet foxes, isn't it? Remix. So I, this job started as supervision, and a very thorough brief. Like the producer on this is amazing. Um, she knew exactly what was needed, but also she knew what was needed because I think they had tried a lot of stuff, and they weren't like. No matter what was being thrown at it, I think the feedback was like more, <laughs> you know, when you're doing a trailer remix, it's like more intense, more intense, more threat, more drama, more high stakes. And um, nothing was quite hitting every, like all the spots that it needed, like the lyrics, the brooding intro that did the kind of put, set you in that world and then went <laughs> into this huge thing at the back. And I... I was obviously thrilled to be on the search. So I, so you said earlier, do you store things and you're like, oh, that'll work if such and such come up, comes up. I had a little folder of stuff where I was like, if I ever get to work on The Witcher, this is, <laughs> this is what I would put in it. Is that your curveballs and covers folder? No, that was, that was for The Crown. Oh, uh, okay. Um, 
this one was just like me tagging stuff and being like, that sounds like The Witcher. So there was, it was you that, it, there was no talk of Fleet Foxes prior to that. It was you, you sort of had Fleet Foxes sort of. No, I didn't come up with Fleet, Fleet Foxes. Within the search brief, the producer had said, we've tried a cover of Your Protector by Fleet Foxes, but it just wasn't quite right. And then I read, I reread the lyrics because I hadn't heard the song for a while. And I was like, oh my God, that is just, we can't beat that. Like those lyrics are just perfect. Um, and then, so I, I did the search because obviously first and foremost, my job was to do the music search. So I did a bunch of options and they liked like a lot of stuff. And there was just something wasn't quite there on everything. And I knew that as well. Like I did the search and I was like, ah, don't feel like it's going to beat the idea of your protector. Um, so I was like trying to <laughs> uh, ask slash subtly force the idea of doing custom. I basically just took the acapella from it and then worked with, I obviously couldn't tell him what it was, but just said, can we try this? My friend Kieran, who I did the crown with, um, but we've since become really good friends since that and we have a really good working relationship and I was like just trust me please just try this idea with me <laughs> so we got the acapella and just put it over like a it's not too dissimilar from how it's ended up now um kind of a droney bed a little bit like how the crown over is quite haunting booms and everything and just scoped it into the trailer universe basically um and his voice like I said to the producer this Kieran and I can hear this voice with reverb on. It's got that kind of folk. Obviously, it's a, it's a folky band, but like it's got this medieval almost feel to it. And like you can picture him standing on a hill and and singing this in in the Middle Ages or something. It's got something about it. So we whacked on reverb and we got it up to a point where there was a little bit of a riser and like, it, it was like, Ooh, what's going to happen? And then we only had the intro done, sent that to the producer and was, was like, J just for an idea, really quickly, just mop this up. And, and then didn't hear anything for a little bit. And then she was like, huh, I really like that. Let me get back to you. <laughs> they came back and said, we kind of see what you're trying to do, but it needs to be more like this. It need, the word that kept getting thrown around was threat. Like there just needs to be more and more. And even though I work in trailers, it was more than I realized they needed. Like when I'd done the search, it was just on another level of like darkness and threat. Um, and we basically just tore up the, the end of it and just redid it. I did the, like some string pattern, like running stuff because we needed movement and all the string patterns. And then we started like emulating that and the drums that we had this, um, I don't know if it was me or Kieran, one of it, this, da, 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 it was like a five note and a six note pattern. It, there's both are in there, but we had that in something, which I think was in the drums that Kieran had done. And then I was like, oh, we should, we should put that in cellos and things and add and some like Bartok strings and like add this attack and just have it as this it's kind of like a knocking on the, the door kind of effect well this is something that you, there's always quite prevalent in trailers there's there's quite often the ticking clock or something that's doing some ticking because it's sort of it there is that sort of sense of anticipation and something's going to happen um but there what you're talking about there when i watched the trailer that's the thing that i remember it's it that's the that's the hook there's well aside from the sort of the the, the fleet fox's vocal um but that sort of little recurring pattern which happens sort of percussively with bartok and things like that that's the hook that's the and, and that's the bit that i remember from from the trailer so it's kind of yeah this is always something that kind of as writers we're sort of going okay what's the hook what separates this from the other bits what's the when people think of this piece of music what's the bit that they're going to remember and that's the sort of critical element it's yeah it's it's simple this and it can be melodic but it also in this instance like purely rhythmic and it works so well oh thanks i yeah i hadn't really i didn't we didn't know if anyone would pick up on it that's interesting but the editor actually called it and said can we can we allude to it earlier in the track and mm. the, the editor and the producer like were so specific with the notes they wanted. We were very lucky, especially in that turnaround, to have very, very prescriptive changes. Like, at this time code, can you do a didn't 
drum instead of yeah and it does make life easy doesn't it when you the notes that you get are quite specific rather than sort of really vague and wishy-washy like can you make it more yellow or a bit bigger dynamic where it's like yeah but what does that mean yeah um, no it was, it was it was great it was the yeah. most fun i've like had and not even in work like just on anything it was so much fun yeah i mean the witcher season two the trailer's incredible um obviously i would wanted to touch on as well the um the crown i think it was season three wasn't it with the bob dylan um cover which uh you know award-winning um what about this thing of the covers? Because it seems to me increasingly within the trailer world that covers, there's just, it's just more and more covers. Is that, are you seeing that as well? Yeah, I have this year. I feel like I've had more cover briefs than when I was at Create. I, d- I, I don't know. Um, I think people are trying to do it differently. It's, I mean, that's always the thing in trailers. How can we, you know, reinvent the wheel kind of thing. But mm. Yeah, I, I do think there there are more, um, but a lot of instrumental covers as well, like trying to do something mm. recognisable with like a weird sh- upfront string thing. Or um... well, it's it's interesting as well. You say they kind of like trying trying to do trying to be different that people sort of want to do things differently. And I know this is something that you know from talking to you, this is something that's important to you. Is like you're always looking for to do sort of unusual things. And you've you've got you had a folder for the Crown Three, which was called Curveballs. Um, but it's great because I think you know certainly creatively, that's for uh, for we as creatives, that's where the, the most excited excitement lies and value lies is when we can start to sort of be do things differently. But it actually sounds like certainly within the trailer world that people are very kind of open to that and actually actively looking for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think especially with the the best teams, they you know listen to things that might sound a bit off the wall and strange. When there's no, when it's like a safe space to throw ideas, mm. you do like. I mean, it's like any industry. You, you, you will get the best results if people don't feel they're going to be judged for saying them, or they've been given creative free will rather than giving a supervisor the parameters in which to work and letting them go from there is the best way. So that's that's what I, I've said before. Is is why I did. The crown little curveballs idea because it was kind of like, shall I segue into just talking about that now anyway? <laughs> um, <clears throat> we hadn't got the episodes in yet, so we were just told we were going to be working on it. So I just watched uh, the previous trailers and then listened to bits of the score, um, and basically just went from there. Was kind of like found my parameters, but like where where do they stretch? the limits to like how there's like synth elements and vocal pads and things, how electronic does it go? And like, where is the, the market? Like where, where do you stop with that and how orchestral does it go? And where do you stop with that? And then you find your little Venn diagram <laughs> in which to work kind of. Um, so the thing with the crown is that it never went to, it didn't feel too traditional. That's something that uh, Peter Morgan, uh, dictates is that it doesn't want like it to feel like a period drama kind of strings piece like it's yeah. like you know with Hans's score and with Martin and um I feel like there's been several composers on it and now I feel awful I've forgotten the third one um I can't help you sorry <laughs> so um, it's it has all the elements of orchestral but it does what Hans does it's like very deep strings and brass and things and it's like swells and you don't hear the attack of all the instruments. It's very, it's like this kind of wall of sound like he he does so well. Mm. So it was finding somewhere in that. And then it was like, how can we be a bit new on this trailer? Um, Thinking about vocals instead of just instrumental tracks. And then I remembered Kieran had made that cover for me for something else that didn't go ahead at some point. And I was just like, oh, he's the guy that does everything in that kind of world, that's the perfect sound world for this. And then I remembered that track and it was just like, <gasps> this. Ah, you knew. Well, I suppose lyrically it lends itself. It sounds like, you know, the that series of The Crown, it's, there's sort of like sort of major change going on that the Queen is wrestling with. And obviously the Bob Dylan track, Times Are Changing, just sort of fits beautifully into that lyrically. Um, Yeah, amazing. Um, I just quickly Googled uh, Rupert Gregson-Williams yes oh um, yeah 
cost. I I didn't realize it was such high profile composers on the on the on the crown. I didn't realize Hans Zimmer did the theme tune either. That's why it was quite intense. It's like right, okay, uh, we need to we need to be in the world of Hans Zimmer. Yeah, like within a trailer. Um, yeah, the music the music is great, and it's very it's very steady. There's a very like well regal feel to it. It's a processional kind of like steady. Um, and and that's the thing when I talked about the movement and the shape of an edit. There was no way this edit was going to be chopping and changing, like frantic. If you watch any of the others, it's got like a sex appeal to it almost. It's like mm. very sultry and very, yeah. um, just very kind of slow burn. Um, and you kind of reach the back end sections before you realize you're in them, that kind of thing. It's like a, like a long riser that you don't mm. realize is a riser. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. the best way I can describe it. That's sort of shepherd tone going on in the background, um, yeah. And it, it well, it works. It works really well. And and again, I think really kind of captures that. It it feels different. It feels which is which is great because there's you know there is a formula to trailer music uh, generally. You know your three act structure and and some big drums and things. But um, you know when you get to sort of do things and be a little bit um, irreverent is a sort of term I always kind of apply to this. It's um, and and I think makes it more memorable because you know you think of a lot of other trailers and they sort of tend to blend you know to speaking sort of let's say Marvel Universe they're kind of very similar and and they sort of blend into one another whereas you know when you get the ones that stand out it's like oh hello that's that's really interesting under the skin be great to just sort of get an understanding for kind of what what moves you musically you sort of talked about as a kid you sort of listen to movies film soundtracks and things like that what kind of is there a particular type of music or anything that really gets you going that really resonates with you above all else um john powell i <laughs> oh, really i i just adore john powell if ever i'm feeling low i would just listen to his music um well, like how to train your dragon yes particularly <laughs> that i i've listened to a lot of his stuff but those i they're just masterpieces and they get better each one he even said, like, I think I got better at doing choirs <laughs> when he got to the third one. But, like, um, he just is an absolute genius in terms of mm. mirroring visual, like, emo- emotional storytelling, like, the way that it, like, intertwines with the visuals. And people laugh when I say How to Train Your Dragon is my favourite my favorite series and my favourite score. But it is just, go- if you haven't, go and watch and listen to it because... It's incredible. The the journey he takes you on, like he's got mo- most of the films start with like this huge, like like vibrant energy, like you know, like there's some kind of game going on at the start or whatever. But then takes you to such dark places, and mm. and then he's really good with with he is really good with vocals. He's got a whole like uh, choir album, like really really good um, like classical writing, but. Um, yeah. Well, he's what he does really nicely with that score as well is he's, he sort of like blends in Celtic elements as well. So you'll sort of have sort of kind of real Celtic flavors running through like a traditional sort of orchestral score, which he does so subtly and so beautifully. Um, I mean, it the um, I think the thing about his music that I tend to like in, a, in other pieces of music, if you're saying what moves me, is like uh, either like extremes of emotion or like deep a sense of like deep rooted emotion so like um either something big and sweeping like his like huge they're they're like flurries of of uh, musical activity Mm. (laughs) or or like um there's a track from x-men called i think it's um i've forgotten her name the girl with the white strip in her hair it's her theme (laughs) there's a theme on top of like where uh hugh jackman's like saved her or something on top of a building I don't know and it's just this beautiful like it's just this huge like flowering piece and the same with Murray Gold I love Murray Gold's like usually suspensions I'm a sucker for a suspension and then um some kind of sustained idea that's like like I say it's deep-rooted emotion that's either kind of subtly portrayed for a while and you can feel it and then it like bursts into something massive 
Yeah. Like trailers. <laughs> like trailers. Well, quite no 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 coincidence that you're involved with trailers. Um and is there a is there a piece of music which will, you know, hands down make you cry every time you listen to it? It's probably a John Powell one, I think. Uh the, there's one called Should I Know You from the second film or or any of the ones because he's so good at like if you've seen the film then I'm just seeing the film whilst I'm listening so like any of the ones where there's a really sad moment and I don't want to spoil it if people haven't seen it so yeah any of those moments make me cry but the one the one thing that is I don't know if it's the music that makes me cry or the show that makes me cry but the first ever bit of media to make me cry was a Doctor Who episode um so Murray Gold again um the one called Doomsday where the Doctor and Rose get parted with the big wall between them I'd never cry I was like I don't cry at films and tv or adverts and then that happened and it just it's like like Chandler and Friends or something it just opened this like floodgate and I, I don't know Murray Gold is a huge influence of mine though and that it's just this like dead kind of funereal pace underneath and this haunting yeah. vocal and it just gives me chills still if I listen to it yeah and it's interesting as well isn't it it's like is it is it the is it the, if you listen to the music in isolation would it do that if you watch this scene without music would it do that or, or is it just a combination of the two that kind of creates this the recipe the right cocktail of emotions to uh, to get the flood the um flood floodworks um the tears tears flowing uh, waterworks that was the word i was looking for yeah i think the combination and i guess that's why i do what i do because i love the i love that kind of magic recipe that yeah put two things together and what you can make someone feel if they yeah if you like with a cake or something you ate like eggs and flour on their own yeah totally singularly unimpressive it's like on their own but you've put them together in the right combination and oh you've got something pretty special um and is it obviously there's you know there's lots of music you do like is there any any music that you don't like is there anything that's sort of like if it sort of comes on a stereo or whatever that you'll just reach for the sort of the skip button or something like that or do you just literally like everything? No, I don't like everything. Um, <laughs> I've learned to appreciate a lot of things doing this job, I, like the use that things can have and that other people like it. <sighs> I don't, I'm not into like really modern pop music. I know that's quite a broad stroke, but like I just, any basically anything that's probably trending right now I'm, I'm not into I'm not saying that to try and be cool like oh I don't like what the cool kids like, like that kind of thing I just just doesn't do do anything for me I um auto-tuned vocals I don't, I don't know stuff that's like about being at a club like lyrics about uh, house music and EDM and and probably heavy metal the yeah I have to be careful, like, I don't know, saying what I don't like as a supervisor, but <laughs> there's quite a lot I don't like. <laughs> yeah, that's, which is fair enough. It's, it's one of those things, and this is why I'm interested in the question, because obviously in whatever area, if you work with music, nobody is immune to their own personal preferences. In fact, if, you know, if ever I'm working with a director on a film, I'm always interested to know what they like personally, what they listen to, even though it's not possibly not right for the film it goes some way to informing someone's musical taste and then if you're sort of trying to then sort of second guess that and, and work with something then I think that's really helpful but um but yeah I think it's okay to not like other stuff you know I'm I've always had a very weird relationship with music in that I'm very very particular about what I will and won't listen to and I think the weird thing about pop music is pop music is is generally kind of it's generally fashion-led it's it's very sort of quite generic and and they're sort of it's I'm, I've got to be careful what I say now, but I don't care. Painting by numbers, but it's also it's done for a mass market. It's created for a mass market. It's done to have mass appeal. Whereas I was always someone, and I think probably you were too, in someone in the background sort of going, okay, well that's fine, but what else is there? And then when you start digging and listening to other music, you go, hang on a minute, this is this is miles better. So why would I just sort of have that stuff that's sort of sort of played over the you know radio outdated but certainly playlists when actually if you go digging you can actually find some wonderful stuff which thinks outside the box and breaks the formula and does it in a way that kind of engages you emotionally that maybe a pop track might never do and that's nothing to say is wrong with pop music there's some great pop music out there but and i do like dip in like the some tracks i'll listen to and be surprised by that i like it i you know i 
come across <laughs> various things when I'm working and I'd be like, oh, I should hate this, but I really like it. Mm. So I, I think just you can never really rule out a whole genre, but... <laughs> well, I, I probably can actually. <laughs> <laughs> what's no. your... So what's your... I, I, I struggle with again with house music because I, I love rhythm and then to just have a four to the floor going for sort of four or five minutes just seems a waste um and for some reason the reg reggaeton just winds me up um it just that again it's the repetition of the beat I think I need variety and rhythm to keep my attention so um so yeah reggaeton and, and house I mean there's I could go on yeah, there's loads of stuff that winds me up but I just I just know what I like um and then there's other stuff I sort of think ah oh, you know how do you feel about trailer music with like stuff that has a very steady beat running through it? Well, it it does have a steady beat, but it also it, it it's it's there's a, there's a real journey to trailer music. There's there's it's constantly ebbing and flowing and stopping and starting. And I mean, sometimes sometimes to a point of like kind of blowing your mind. And this is something difficult because with the, the group of writers that I work with, with writing trailer music, it's like how bonkers do you make a track? Because when you f watch the final edit of a trailer, quite often the music has been cut up, so it's, it's barely recognisable as the original track. But to try and write a piece of music that, that works like that is is probably not doing justice to it being a piece of music. So for, I think for, for, for us, it's always a case of stay true to the piece of music, tell a story, take someone on a journey, um, you know, build me up, drop me down, create tension, drop it, etc., etc., um, and then let the editor or you know the producer or whoever it is then sort of go to town on that um but no i mean i i, I love trailer music from that point because i think it, it, it it's got a lot to give um and i love you know it's it has steady rhythms but it's also those rhythms sort of change up it's not just tick. If, if it was just sort of like two minutes of ticking clock then i'd be like come on guys you could do better than that i am done <laughs> with ticking clocks to be honest <laughs> It's, it's, it's one of those things we all sort of go, let's not do ticking clock because that's been done before, but yet you just keep hearing it. So it's like, well, all right, um, let's put a clicking talk in there. Or just... Piano pings. Yeah, or Bartok, you know, Bartok pits or something like that. Just something that's ticking, but it isn't a clock. Um, and if you... Again, sort of like, you know, musically, I think we're kind of always informed by what's come before and, you know, growing up, it sounded like you... It's amazing that you used to sit there watching TV and playing along to the sort of TV. But are there certain soundtracks or albums or artists that you know have been kind of seminal in terms of your influence your musical influences over the years um yeah if i avoid score i mean i do heavily listen to scores but um children breaks is my like my favorite band that i discovered around that time where i was kind of shirking off pop music and kind of being like I did love pop music for a while and then when, like you say I started realizing well what else is there what do I actually like am I just am I actually enjoying listening to this stuff um mm. and then I've actually found Turin Breaks through a sync in Doctor Who in a in a Doctor Who extra episode <laughs> so it's it's just been really strange like it's been this weird spiritual kind of full circle thing to now work and sing and have met the band and I've written a cover of my favourite song of theirs with Kieran, actually. Um, so their music, I mean, I don't think I'm their normal fan base age. Um, I'm a little younger because they were quite big when I was growing up kind of time. So um, I don't know how familiar you are. I Well, I was quite surprised that you, you knew who Cheering Breaks were before because they were sort of quite a bit before time, but um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I love them. Just really incredible lyric writing which I didn't realize I was into but when you listen to good lyrics you really notice um like Bob Dylan I mean it's genius mm -hmm. stuff um and then there's just something about I think like I said I'm a sucker for suspensions and huge like emotional like climaxes within a music and stuff and that their piece Long Distance is my favorite song which is the one I've covered and it, it is like it's this slow brooding. I'm only noticing during doing this podcast that all my tastes do relate to trailer music that I had genuinely not realised till right now. Um, mm. But it's this brooding, emotional, very dark and haunting. It's like the lyrics are um, vultures are circling around my head, like about like running out of time and that kind of thing. And again, my trailer brain was like, "Oh, I should make a cover of this," but mm. um, and then it stops and it goes into this huge like. I let somebody get under my skin and it's about like long distance 
losing and everything like yeah. that. And it was used when the Doctor and Rose like have this really emotional kiss, but in a behind the scenes featurette thing, which is really strange. Not even in the main show, just in this. The all the actors are talking about this emotional bit in the show and. I said before, I cried at the scene where they got separated years back. And then that bit happened and I was watching them like kind of kiss again and reunite. And it's the, that music. And I was like, what is that? And because it was before I could properly find out through YouTube and stuff like for Shazam or anything like that. I know I'm very young, but it was still before I could properly do that. And I don't know how I found it. I must have been Googling because I couldn't repeat the show or anything. So I was like, what were the lyrics? And trying to find it, somehow found it. Um, and then went through their back catalogue and, and then got into like some similar kind, kind of stuff like Doves and um, a bit of Elbow and like that kind of world. So, yeah. yeah. Cheering Breaks. <laughs> Cheering Breaks, there you go. Seminal album. Which, what's the name of the album? I'm going to link to it. In the, anything that we've mentioned here, I'll link to in the show notes. What's the is it? The album that one's in is uh, Ether or Ether Song, Ether Song. Okay. But okay. the main album that everyone talks about is The Optimist. Okay, which is great. I, I love everything. So yeah, I think I'll have to revisit Turing Breaks after this here. Um, and what about what about from a sort of like a visual perspective? Uh, obviously, you love trailers. <laughs> um, but what sort of um, what sort of sort of stuff do you like watching? Um, well, I like The Witcher, so that was a dream come true. Especially um, season two. Sci-fi and fantasy. Um, sci-fi that really like makes you think or is quite quite dark, like a Her or Ex Machina and that mm. kind of thing. Um, nice. Stuff that's kind of just very cleverly written, even though it's maybe a genre I might not like, so like uh, The Punisher. Yeah. If anyone's not watched the Marvel, well, it's Marvel Universe, but you don't you don't realize it is like it's just very cool guy that violent people. <laughs> but yeah. that's not what I thought my kind of thing was. But it's just really smart um, writing. But mm. then again, so to kind of transition a bit from film and TV, I love kind of watching slash. So I'm really into games as well. So my husband and I play games as if we're watching a series. So kind of like, you know, like tuning in to get the next episode or whatever. We just play a section. Um, so there's a game that's a bit like The Punisher, Wolfenstein, which obviously people might know from the older games, but I've played the newer ones. Again, the storytelling, the, it, just brilliant writing and yeah. really fun to play. Um, dark. It's dark as well, because as well, it, like I think you've obviously sort of like the darker side of stuff and as particularly like tra i mean trailers tend to be, always be pretty dark as well so there's obviously that so but then you know there's so much there is i recently found myself as well i've had to take a bit of a break from it because everything i watched on netflix is dark it's like nordic noir uh murders and stuff like that and i guess to a point where i'm like i just need to watch something nice for a change how to train your dragon of, yeah how to train my dragon exactly um what is there, are there any sort of productions coming up uh, in the sort of next year or so that you're excited about releasing? Um, so The Last of Us, the TV series. So, like I said, I'm into the game. Oh, if I could work on the the trailer for the series, oh, that would be great. Nice. But I'm really excited because they've got the... Have they got the writers? They've got the director from the game working with the director of Chernobyl. So... Oh, very exciting and like they've been posting little teasers of like images and things like that and it looks like the game and basically yeah. I, I think what they're doing is like extending the narrative so like there's already like myself massive fans of the original story yeah. but I think they're gonna go into little bits that they didn't manage to fit into the game or just things like that so it's like a kind of like a spin-off at the same time as being a retelling like yeah. of the story because the game's already cinematic and has amazing cutscenes and stuff so you can't you can't really just mirror that because it will look very similar. Yeah. But they they've got their composer on it. They've got Gustavo Santuello on it okay. like on the game as well so. Yeah. Awesome. I get I sort of nerd out over kind of like weird little bits of information about sort of music and or um film 
um, like, you know, little random facts that people don't know. Do you have any random, if you don't, it's fine because I've got loads. Do you have any random trivia facts about um, film scores or music or film TV? I don't think, not to sound like, like a repeating record or anything. I know it's not, it's not even trivia. I just know one thing that interests me about how John Powell works which made me feel better about how I work is that he writes two bars at a time. Oh, really? Because uh, I used to kind of, I, I even now when I write stuff, I'm like, oh, I should be thinking about the big picture and the overarching thing and how I'm starting the melody here and I'm going to reinvent it there or whatever. Um, but he, yeah, I've watched so many interviews with him and one of the things he says is that he write, he'll write two bars, write the next two, and you then if you re-listen to it, you can tell, like, that's, I think that's why I love it so much because it's just like nuts sometimes. Mm. It's just like all over the place. He's got strings and it's like all this stuff is like going mad and he gets told off for overwriting. But, um, but he does it anyway and they just pull the mix down. <laughs> that's what they did in, um, in Born in the, uh, the scene where Matt Damon's in Algiers yeah. and like that. It's a really long piece if you listen to it on its own, but he did this thing with like loads going on and I think they just pulled the mix down because it was too busy. But yeah. I just love that. But yeah, he writes two bars at a time. So now I don't, I'm like, if it's good enough for John Powell, it's good enough for yeah, me. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I think we, we can be very prescriptive about how things should be done, but everyone's got their own kind of uh, style and approach, haven't they? And that's interesting as well, because I suppose, particularly if you were to think of something that's th- that's through composed, I think I probably suffer the opposite. I tend to sort of work in, um, you know, sort of eight or 16 bar sections, but that just sort of means that I've generally got sort of chord sequences that sort of repeat throughout that, whereas actually to boil it down and go, okay, two bars at a time. And you sort of think about, you know, the old Tom and Jerry cartoons of, of the sort of 60s, 50s, 60s, um, where the music is constantly changing. There's no repeating motifs, really. It's just constantly underscoring what's happening. You wouldn't be able to do that by thinking about the bigger picture. You literally just have to tackle the visual and what's going on sort of two bars at a time. So that's, yeah, interesting. Um, and yeah, great that you mentioned the, the Bourne because that was my first introduction to John Powell, and I, I love that trilogy of films. And his score is that was you know that was the first time I was introduced to him, and um, yeah, it was amazing. Well, um, go and tell me some trivia. Uh, are you familiar with the film Drive? A bit. Okay. Oh, this is this is a cool fact. So, uh, and it's it's hard to sort of say his name, but Nicholas Winding Refn, uh, the director of Drive, uh, actually failed his driving test eight times. Uh, which I thought was entertaining. Um, li- what's a little known fact about Emma Middleton? Um, I used to be a javelin thrower. <laughs> oh, really? It's it's cool. I would have carried it on, but I I uh, I got some injuries and I prioritised music. Thank God. <laughs> and um, like academia, but um, yeah, I really really liked it. I really miss it. I was quite oh, good at right. it. That's that's such a random random sport to get involved with. It's, it's slightly less random than pole vaulting, but to to sort of find out that you've got a really good knack of throwing a sharp spear. I just got told to do it at school. Like you know, when you did you ever do the thing where you throw a tennis ball and that, that kind of thing? And I was like, oh, mine goes like as far as all the boys. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. um, we put a javelin in your hand. I was really rubbish at it in year seven, and then in year eight, I somehow just launched it, and so. Yeah just did more of it but i don't pick very safe sports that and squash the two most like the impact heavy no wonder i've got injuries but like you're doing such intense things and suddenly stopping your body yeah you're not thinking of getting involved in ufc are you (laughs) okay good um what scares emma middleton oh spiders um um more of like a cerebral point i think it'd be people thinking i haven't tried at something i think that's the thing that brings me most like anxiety is like when i do something if someone's like oh she's not put everything into this because i always do i think that's like a fear yeah angst yeah anxiousness around how someone perceives because you always give 100 percent, so you don't want anyone to think ever that you you don't yeah um and finally, if you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? 
being more assertive. I mean, that's advice for me now, to be honest, but <laughs> maybe I'll start the ball rolling a bit earlier. <laughs> yeah, well, that's great. You know, bringing, bringing awareness and consciousness to it is the first step to being able to implement it. So um, sound advice. Um, well, Emma, thanks so much for um, taking the time to chat. It's been, um, thank you for sort of generously sharing everything that you get involved with. It's been uh, very interesting. Um, and um, yeah, good luck with, uh, with everything for the future. If people want to go and check out what you've been working on and, or where, where do we find you? Um, I, my website is www.rubatomx.com. Rubatomx.com. And then I, I think, I, actually, I might need to update it. I think I've got links to my Twitter and Instagram and stuff on there, but I'm pretty rubbish on Insta- Instagram. So, <laughs> yeah. So awesome. Yeah. We'll definitely recommend, um, uh, going on i'll include the uh, website in the um in the show notes as well as sort of links to any kind of music or things that we've talked about um but yeah all the best and thanks very much thank you for having me thanks <laughs> thank you very much for listening if you've enjoyed this episode and given that you've listened this far i feel you might have then i would be honored and incredibly grateful if you could take a moment to subscribe rate and review on your podcast platform of choice By subscribing, you'll automatically be notified each time a new episode drops. And by rating the show, you tell the artificial intelligence that will soon be running the world that this podcast is worth listening to. I certainly get a lot of insights and value from these conversations, and I genuinely hope you do too. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, then you can email me, podcast at larpmusic.com. Larpmusic.com is my digital abode, and the home of the podcast is larpmusic.com forward slash Sync Music Matters Podcast. And Sync Music Matters Podcast is hyphenated. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. <laughs>